Dunn spun away, looking, shooting! Dunn with a goal! Welcome to another episode of Diaspora United. (laughs) 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 Laughing because we just had an off-pod conversation. Don't worry about it. It's all good. Uh, I am here with Courtney to uh, head up. This is episode three. Um, Courtney, how are you doing? Doing well. Just, you know, the weeks are going by. Super excited for preseason to start and the NWSL and for the She Believes Cup to come soon. Yeah, absolutely. I think I tweeted something like, if 2020 taught me anything, we are one month down and about 400 to go. So uh, (laughs) hopefully 2021 is absolutely nothing like 2020. We'll see. Got to get this pandemic under control, but uh, we'll digress there and get back to the soccer. Uh, we want to recap some things that happened since the last time. You know, we we dropped the emergency pod on y'all because we just had the blackest U.S. Women's National Team game ever, and we just were both losing our minds on Twitter in real life and every in in every way. So we definitely had to acknowledge that with the emergency pod. But now we're going to get back to talking about some things we scheduled to talk about in episode two, which became episode three. So Courtney. A little thing called the NWSL draft happened uh, a few weeks ago. Anything interesting stick out to you about that? There was an explosion of blackness in the first round. (laughs) That's also happy Black History Month. Happy Um, Black History. Happy Black History Month. Uh, Yeah, there was an explosion of uh, blackness in the first round. It was incredible. I said my head, I was probably tweeting like my head was exploding, but it's because it Honestly, it kind of was. It's really, really exciting to see so many black players um, drafted and drafted early on. I will say my team Sky Blue FC got Brianna Pinto, which I was thrilled yes. about. Hashtag Pinto life forever. All about that Pinto life. All about that Pinto life. Her her dad having that, that thing of saying, hashtag that Pinto life. I was like, that is probably the kindest thing I think I've seen in my whole life. It was um, amazing. <laughs> It was absolutely incredible, but even just in total, the draft was super diverse. There were um, a bunch of black players, but there were also a lot of women of color drafted. I think it was like around 14 women of color were drafted overall uh, and having, you know, seven in the first round um, and a few more sprinkled through, which is really, really exciting for the league to become more diverse. Yeah, I think my, like, what made me so happy about it, I mean, despite, first of all, you know, shout out to Black women footballers, period. Like, that's kind of the the whole point of this podcast anyway. But the thing that really made me excited about it was that these were high draft picks. And that means that there is something happening there, at least in the collegiate ranks. And we'll talk about what more can be done a little bit later. But it is really good to see that not only are Black players getting opportunities, but they're actually being able to be coached and to get to a level where they need, where they require and demand that they be drafted early as impact players. It was so great seeing Brianna Pinto um, selected. It was so great seeing the Washington Spirit get Trinity Rodman. I mean, she's basically she she signed up for a year at Washington State, but never got to play because of COVID. So she's basically coming out with no college experience, but the spirit took her at number two, which gives you a, a level of insight into how highly she's rated and what they think about her talent. So, you know, just like honestly, blown away that that was happening. Loved watching the draft on Twitch. 
It was really fun, even though the first round took about two hours uh, to complete. <laughs> Way too many timeouts and all that. But to be honest, it was amazing it was so to long. see. It was so long, but it was great to see. You know, you got player interviews. You know, the Pinto Life thing happened. Uh, you got you got a bunch of you know. I, I think even in like the last round, I think there were still ten thousand people watching. Which, given how long that was, it was amazing. And so I just say, you know, shout out to the NWSL, but shout out to these black players that came into the league and all the women of color who are coming into the league because we need it. Uh, we're excited about it. And the talent is absolutely there, has always been there. Great to see it starting to bust through a little bit more. Yeah. Also got to give a shout out to Kiki Pickett because uh, I think, yes. um, you know, Sky Blue had the number three and four and then between three and four, there was an absolutely huge trade. And I think it's because Kansas City really, really wanted uh, Kiki Pickett. So it's super, super exciting um, to see all the black players coming into the league. And also it's exciting for me because I like because they were drafted so high, you know, that they are going to also hopefully, you know, stay in the league for a substantial amount of time. And you know what? You brought up Kiki Pickett, and I'll give you, you know, the, the, the pencil life thing was fun and all, but I think Kiki Pickett had one of the scariest lines of the night just because it gave you insight into the kind of defender that she is. And she was talking, uh, she was during her doing her interview, and they mentioned something about, I, I think, something about her mindset and defending and all that. And she straight up said with a blank face, like blank stare, straight into the camera that I don't believe in 50-50 balls. My job is to make them 60-40 mine. And I was like, good Lord. <laughs> like, I believe you and I'm not going to challenge you ever at all. So good luck with that. The rest of you in the NWSL, she is ready. She is ready. And honestly, I mean, <laughs> as a former defender myself, I love it. No 50-50 balls. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, and also something else um, that... It was like really fun to me. And I mean, people have also talked about this uh, because the draft was, you know, virtual and it was um, everything was live streamed and all that stuff. It was like really, really fun to see all the players, you know, celebrating with their parents um, and their family that like their small groups that could be there um, as opposed to, you know, I mean, I haven't personally been to the draft, um, but like I but like it seems like a lot more fun to be celebrating at home with your family and, you know, you can have multiple zooms going on and have, you know, little bright spots um, in this relatively dark time during the pandemic. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's a good point to bring up because, you know, normally the draft is only about the team, where they fit in the team. You know, the coach is, is in the front office for the team is there. You know, they hold up the jersey and you're usually standing next to the coach, maybe the commissioner. This time it was all family. So it was very family oriented, which was amazing. And something that I think we all really needed to see just because, you know, if if you're, you know, like me and, and us and you've been quarantining the majority of this time and missing on a lot of family time that you would normally have, you know, especially around holidays and things like that, like it, it just seemed like that made me smile so much, you know, seeing the family dynamics, seeing, you know, families react the way that I know p plenty of people in my family would react the exact same way <laughs> if they were, uh, if we had a draftee on our hands, you know, just, just clowning around, playing around, yelling stuff at the camera just because you can. Uh, <laughs> so it was really, really fun to see. And it kind of brought a different vibe to the draft that honestly, the NWSL in the future might want to think about, you know, having that family dynamic at the draft at some point um, in the future when we, they can actually be live and they don't have to be over Zoom because it really did help to 
I guess, kind of like introduce the players and give you a connection to the players, even if you haven't heard them before or heard of them before. You know that like, you, I don't know, how can you not root for Brianna Pinto right now? Like that was such a fantastic family moment. Like you, of course, want her to succeed and her own family to be proud of her. So I think, I don't know how they do it, but I right. think and I hope that the league is thinking about it. Yeah, that's yeah, that's so true. And I know with other college drafts, like I think a few people's families are there, but having you know, having everyone there, like for some people, like a little bit, maybe a little bit into their extended family, um, yeah. really just made the entire night better. And I also want to give a shout out um, to any of the Canadians listening to this podcast. Deanne Rose, who's Canadian, um, was drafted number 10 overall from the University of Florida. Um, and she's also being called up uh, for the She Believes Cup, which is really, really exciting, too. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, we'll we'll switch gears a little bit because, you know, we had the celebration of the black players coming into the league, you know, the being the most diverse draft uh, that we've seen in a long time, probably ever when you count up the number total. Uh, So that's amazing. But we also want to kind of kind of switch gears a little bit and look at the flip side of that and look at, you know, maybe not the flip side, but look at, you know, front offices, you know, clubs in the league. You know, if you guys remember, if you've listened, which I hope you have to our first episode, uh, Kaya did a great job of talking about what it was like being one of the only black players, one of the only two black players on the team and go through a summer like the summer of 2020 and not feel supported. And that is something that I think every NWSL club needs to think about, needs needs to have already been thinking about, um, because it's not necessarily about just having these conversations. You need to understand what these conversations do, the impact that they have, um, and you need to create an environment that is safe and 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 that is something that is needs to be in the forefront of a lot of more teams' minds, especially as the league continues to get blacker and you bring more of these players into the league. So um, I, I know, Courtney, I think I believe you have some numbers here, which are a little uh, on some of the front offices that we have uh, in college and in the NWSL. Yes, I do. And to be fair, these numbers are from um, 2019. Um, and I got them from the Power Plays newsletter. Shout out to Power Plays. Um, shout out to Lindsay Gibbs. She does a great job. Yeah, she also gave us a little shout out in our last uh, newsletter. And I really appreciate that. Um, but yeah, some of the numbers that uh, she talked about was just kind of talking about the overall lack of racial diversity in women's soccer. So as of 2018, there are only three black female head coaches in D1 soccer. And with that, only 5.3% of women's soccer players are black at the collegiate level. And to me, that just really, it's really, really interesting. And it's not surprising to me why none of that necessarily trickles up, like the the small amount of um, black female head coaches and just kind of black, honestly, black head coaches in general. Um, why it's not surprising to me that it, that doesn't trickle up to the NWSL, because um, I also found some stats. And I mean, as of right now, there are no black head coaches in the NWSL across um, any of those teams. And um, if you think about the MLS, it's not much better. I think right now there's um, only two. Um, and so it's not surprising, even though it's really great that you have players coming up um, on the player side and, you know, being great and we can celebrate all that. We also have to look at the flip side of who's in the front office, you know, who is potentially um you know, really creating the culture around these soccer clubs. And so to only have three black female head coaches in D1, like in D1 soccer, and there are a lot of D1 soccer programs, um, it's kind of disheartening. And I think the NWSL hopefully will start to create a pipeline for more diverse um, people to come up through the coaching ranks. Yeah, and we always say it, you know, the, the the pushback is always like, you know, well, where do we find the candidates and all of that? And I And that's one of those things where like, 
I just shake my head and like, absolutely not. Do not even try to do that. <laughs> like the, the talent is out there. Just like you can find it on the pitch, you can find it for front offices as well. It is out there. You just have to understand where it is. And you, are, you may have to look a little harder than just coming up with the same, you know, the same people who've been in the same circles time and time again. I think that, you know, what happened to the Utah team was unfortunate, but they had just signed on, you know, a, a black, I believe, assistant coach. And I think she was going to be one of the first in the league. And when the team was bought uh, and then moved to KC, she ends up not being, I don't know if she was offered the job, but she's not going with them. And that was disappointing to see because I think in terms of some measure of stability, at least it would have been good to have, but then also being aware of what that meant, how many of the players that were, since they inherited that roster, so many of the players openly were excited about her joining the club and looking forward to it and being able to connect with a black woman um, as a coach of the team. And all that kind of went away when they went to KC. So I think that, you know, when there are opportunities, you really need to make sure that you find a way to make it happen and you really need to get people in. And then a lot of this is finding ways for people who are already there to be able to move up. And I think that's another thing that people don't see and don't pay attention to is that they're not really cultivated or giving a pathway to move up into a better position in the in in the team. You know, there there are possibly some very good assistants out there who could be good head coaches, but stay assistants forever. You know, not to cross sports, but we see this all the time in the NFL. They go through this every single year. <laughs> and I don't even I, I don't like that league and we won't get into all that. But, you know, it just it's the same thing across the leagues. This tends to happen. You have the people who are trusted who tend to be white. And then you have to be you have to work really, really hard as a black person to get any sort of opportunity. And usually once you get to a certain level, that's where you're at as an assistant or whatever you are. And then you don't there's not much of a pathway to get higher than that. And that has to change. Right. Yeah. And I completely agree. And I mean, today is um, today is like National Girls and Women's in Sports Day. And it's and I've you know, I've seen a lot of celebration about women in sports. In sports, and I mean, at least for me on my social feeds, I follow I follow a lot of black women and a lot of women of color. So it's nice to see you know black um, and other women of color in these like you know in sports and participating in all those things. But also one thing that it made me think about that I learned through Twitter is that this day was created after the death of Flo Hyman, um, who was a black who was a black woman. Um, and when people were celebrating it, I you know I personally didn't know, and I thought her narrative unfortunately kind of fell to the wayside, but I also saw, you know, a few different, um, especially like I saw one or two different soccer teams celebrating their front office staff and being like, look at all these women we've hired and all these things. But on the flip side, I was like, they're all white women. Um, and so when we're talking about, especially with the NWSL, and I feel like a little bit with women's sports in general and wanting to create, you know, really inclusive cultures um, around, you know, around the league, around teams, how inclusive can your culture be when it is like for a lot of teams, it's mostly white. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a good, uh, that's definitely a good point. I know that, you know, today, not today, but this week you saw there was some, some over in England, there was uh, a report that uh, Chelsea manager uh, of the women's team, Emma Hayes, was being looked at or reportedly on a short list for, for AFC Wimbledon, which is a third division men's team, which is in the relegation zone in the third division. So, you know, that's where they're at. Um, and and it was just, it, I, I wrote a little bit about it and it was really frustrating. But one of the things that Emma Hayes did mention after that is that, you know, we really have to look at not just, you know, first of all, you have to respect the women's game, but then you also have to understand that there are quality candidates out there and you have to respect that quality. 
And it shouldn't be a gender thing. It shouldn't be a racial thing. It should be a who's qualified thing. And I think that there are a whole lot of qualified Black applicants out there. And it's just a matter of finding, making sure that they have a pathway to show those opportunities. Whether you think that they're, you know, head coach material or not, is kind of irrelevant. It really depends on the qualities and characteristics they have and what the and what the team thinks. You know, how will they gel with the team? Because I think a lot of front offices really do tend to want somebody at the helm that is like them, that are, that's like them. And right. we've seen that a lot. And because they're ultimately management, you know, they do work together on a different level, but you got to think of the players. And like we just mentioned, you know, you're bringing in a lot more black players. I believe this trend is only going to continue. And because there's such an untapped amount of talent out there, and it's going to come from places that have been historically underrepresented and haven't had many pathways to get to certain levels of professional soccer or even collegiate soccer. And so as it continues to grow, it's really incumbent and and it's a responsibility to make sure that you are finding the coaches and the people uh, who can better, who are better equipped to handle. And this isn't to say that like all white coaches are not equipped, but if you listen to the interview that we had with Kaya, you understand that she was struggling because really they put a whole lot on her. She had just been drafted and there wasn't a culture in the in the team or there wasn't anybody black in the team or there wasn't enough people around on a daily basis with the team to be able to help her out, to be able to say, hey, you know, to, to be able to say like, just be there for her to support. It was more so, you know, they had a bunch of conversations and she just felt like she was emotionally drained through that whole process because she had to give so much of herself and there wasn't an understanding of what that does to her as a person. And that is a big problem. And that is something that can't continue to happen. Right. Yeah. And I, I mean, I completely agree. And it's even the small thing. I mean, 2020 has, I'm, I'm talking about if 2020 is still here and it does feel that way. Um, but, you know, 2020 did force a lot of conversations around a lot of people. And I think especially for like Black people and Black players, just having like not only having another Black person in the room who's at your level, but also being able to look up to someone and like when these things are happening, just even having something like that in the room where if you, you know, make that little bit of eye contact and someone's like, I see you, I understand what you're, where you're coming from. And also I think, you know, thinking about what is the best way that we can support Black players and the best way that we can make soccer more inclusive, it is making sure that there is a diverse group of people at every single layer of the game. And one thing I want, if you're white and listening to this, this is one thing I want, because a lot of times white people like to ask black people, what can we do? What can we do? What can be the most effective? And it's not that that's not a good question. It's that, what have you tried? It's kind of always my response, because racism is not something, it's not a black person problem. It becomes our problem. But the problem, the the responsibility to fix it is on white people. And so address your communities, address the people that are around you. So I just, and also think about it from black perspective. So in the, in the situation that Kaya was talking about, think about how that is for a player who just came out of college, who is there with Tegan McGrady, who I believe was just drafted the year prior. So young as well. And those two are being asked to talk about what it's like to be black in America to a room full of white people, white coaches, white assistants. Think about how aggressive that is and what that feels like. 
So that's kind of the thing. Like if you put yourself in those shoes and if you put you, and if you allow yourself to really think about the logistics of what's actually being asked, what's actually happening, it makes perfect sense. If you were to just walk in on that, you'd be like, whoa, this is not cool. Like the leaders need to be taking taking advantage, taking the lead here and need to be saying like, you know, we want to talk about this. If, if you want to have these conversations, yes, but leaning on them specifically and exclusively to have those conversations is a lot of emotional trauma and kind of like emotional warfare in a way because you're you're you have to say something you have to confront it and it's difficult to do that on cue and it's difficult to do that when there may be people in the room who don't know or can't relate or even don't believe you like all those things are traumatic and i think people have to think about these things when they look at it. And the one thing that's been bothering me all the time is that, you know, a lot of players resort, this kind of becomes a a way of a standard way of talking about these conversations by by using the word, com- we've had great conversations. I'm like, well, have you been talking or have you just been listening? Have you just been kind of allowing black people to unload their trauma and then you judging whether that's something that you believe is real and accurate and, oh, well, I'm so sorry for you. I can't even imagine. Or is it something that makes you take action and do something? This is more than just having a conversation. Like we don't want to just talk about this stuff so that you can go, oh, I didn't know that. I'm so sorry. No, don't be sorry. Do something. I mean, honestly, you just dropped the mic right there. Uh, when you said, are, like, are you talking to me? It was just like, ooh, that's a word, um, you know, just about making sure that you're actively listening and understanding and all that stuff. Um, but yeah, honestly, you dropped the mic. <laughs> yeah. And, and honestly, one one other thing I wanted to mention, you know, was the, the Chicago Red Stars draftee, Channing Foster. Um, this is another situation that can arise. And I think that teams need to be aware of this as well. This is what happens when you don't have uh, people who can be sensitive to these types of things, you know, and, and I always kind of take a deep breath and, and and get ready for the backlash from people whenever you start talking about, you know, tweets and, and old tweets from high school or whatever uh, that somebody may have had, because for some reason, a lot of white people believe that, that extreme racism is just a phase of growing up. I'm not sure how that is acceptable to so many people, but it seems to be this the case and they get mad at you for bringing up high school tweets. And I get it. I was not a smart person in high school, even though I thought I was, but I also was not racist. So <laughs> there's that. Uh, I was not sexist. You know, there's that as well. So like you can still be a, a decent human and a dumb human like I was uh, without venturing into those areas. And so Channing Foster was drafted by the Red Stars. There was some really questionable and, and pretty disgusting things on her social media account. And it's just like, again, logistically, think about it. You're going to bring her into a situation, into an environment, not 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 just bring her into an environment, but you're going to force players like Sarah Gordon, like Casey Short, who just got married, I believe. I think she's Casey Kruger now. Uh, but you're going to let have those players have to confront this young draftee who isn't going to be able to do anything near for the team that they do. And they they're going to like that's aggressive you know what i mean so like you have to do your homework you have to understand you know the kind of person and the kind of like um environment you're building in the club and the red stars are usually good at this thing it was really disappointing to see afterwards that they completely missed this i know channing foster put out an, an apology on twitter but this is the problem you're only doing that because people brought it out to you in the first place and this is kind of my thing if you're going to apologize after the fact show us the steps of growth. Talk to us about what you have done. Like you, then you have to really open yourself up and say, okay, I'm not, I was like this, but here's where I'm at right now. Because otherwise it just seems like 
you're concerned about your professional opportunity being in jeopardy, which is a fair concern, but you did it to yourself. And we don't have to necessarily forgive you or understand that just because that's what you're feeling and going through at the moment. So I, I, I just want more teams to be aware of these things. I also want, you know, obviously more white people to be aware of these things so that they're not tempted to frame extreme racism as something that you just it's just a phase that you go through, like like being goth or something in high school. I was just, that's my extremely racist period. Don't worry about it. It's like, nah, we're not going to do that. Yeah, I have seen, so like, and this is, this is not related to soccer, but when someone does, has said something absolutely insane and like, not even like, oh, they didn't know, but things where it's like, uh, you, like, you should definitely know this, like, and it's always like, it was a phase. And I was like, who goes through, like, supreme racism phases? Right. <laughs> um, and I mean, and on one hand, like, for example, I can slightly understand, like, maybe if you grew up in super conservative environments that, like, kind of shaped your world and you having some problematic takes, but at least, and I mean, I personally didn't see the tweets, but I did see, um, you know, the Red Stars uh, supporters group, Chicago Local 134. Like, and they put out a thread about it. And at least from what they're saying, it was like the things she was saying, you should know that you should not say them, even if you are raised in those environments. Right. Correct. Yeah. I think, and that's, an, I, I don't, I didn't really want to go off on a tangent about these. And I know I already, I've already gone off on a couple, but it's just one of those things where white people like to give other white people the benefit of the doubt. And I'm like, do you understand what you're saying to me right now? Like, I understand that you're covering this person, but what you're telling me is that me and my skin color are, it's okay to be attacked because they're, they were young at the time. I'm like, nah, that's, that's, that's wild that you think that's okay. Right. Yeah. And it's like, and also it's like, you know, what's, what's it going to be like when you go into the dressing room and it's like, right. Hey, like, you know, that <laughs> it's a sound going around on like TikTok and Instagram of someone who's like, Hey, like, how y'all doing? Like, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, like I can 1000% like just see that happening. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So just, you know, as always, the mantra, do better, be better, yada, yada. We're going to keep saying it, but, you know, we we absolutely want to see action because this stuff is just continues to happen. And we know that it will continue to happen, but we're just going to continue to talk about it because that's what we do. So anyway, we're going to move on uh, and talk about She Believes Cup. That is coming up, presumably. Uh, <laughs> barring uh, nothing catastrophic with COVID. We already had one team pull out. Japan said no, thank you. Um, they pulled out and Argentina was confirmed to come in. Very interesting from Japan, by the way, just side note. I don't even know why they said yes in the first place. We the are way not that it, with COVID. Right? Like the, the, just the, the juxtaposition between how they have been handling COVID and how we have is just like, I, I could have told y'all you weren't ever going to step on a plane to come here. <laughs> <laughs> but they apparently decided they at least wanted to give it a shot. And then, you know, the 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 predictable happened and they pulled out. So, you know, I, I can't can't be too mad at them, even though they were going to probably be the second strongest club there. And Argentina is certainly not on their level, but it should still be a pretty interesting tournament. Brazil has a pretty good team in Canada. Canada stepping up. This is a really great opportunity for Canada, especially against, you know, the non-U.S. teams uh, to really show something to really kind of get themselves on the map and show that their their women's soccer team has made strides because I really think that it has. Yeah, definitely. They um, have a really, re like, not only a lot of um, possibilities and also a lot of black players. Um, to see you. <laughs> but also they 
yeah, they're. I'm going to be really, really excited to watch them um, and see how they play against non-U.S. teams. Because also, I mean, like, it's when the U.S. seems to somehow just keep getting better and better. And I don't think any of us really, like, actually comprehend how it's just, like, taking it up to another level. Like, oh, we're not playing well. Let's bring on a literal human cheat code of Katarina Macario. Um, but I'm really, really excited to see what they do. Um, and I think they're, like, and honestly, they're, I'm really, really, yeah. Uh, for the fourth time. I'm excited to see what they do. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So we do have some players, you know, the, the squads were announced and, and, you know, unfortunately, well, first of all, we had um, Alana Cook, who's in there as a defender. I, I really like that she's being given, she's being given these opportunities and getting into the game. I hope she gets to start a couple games because she is a really solid defender. Um, PSG uh, is who she's playing with now. And right now they're leading they're one point above Lyon, so this is going to be a crazy little uh, little end to the season there. We recommend you guys check out Ata Football, atafootball.com. They have a lot of access to the French League and really a, a lot of other women's soccer matches, so always make sure you check them out so you can watch these leagues, but you definitely want to check out the French League because that, that one-two battle, Lyon's never really been in a battle like this. <laughs> there hasn't for a very long time i'm talking like a decade plus right uh so yeah like this is this is gonna be pretty exciting and then of course listed as defenders still crystal dunn mitch purse i'm not gonna go into my rant about it everybody knows where i stand on that uh we got Catter's doing it as a ploy so he's like <laughs> oh all the world sees their defenders two center strikers <laughs> I would love that, and I really do hope they get some time in their four in their preferred positions again. You know, Midge on the right wing, done at the ten. I really think that uh, we need to see more of that. It was so much fun, and you know, even though Colombia Colombia played well, like we mentioned, like they they tried hard, but I still think that you know, I, I think that we should have some opportunities in these upcoming matches to get Crystal Dunn out there on the pitch for the U.S. Women's National Team at the 10 and Mitch Purse on the wing. That would be amazing to see. Um, of course, Katarina Macario is joining as well uh, from Lyon. That's going to be fun to see her get more time with the with the, with the uh, U.S. Women's National Team. Going to have Kristen Press return. The return, possibly the return of Kristen Press bangers, which we've missed. We missed a whole year of Kristen Press bangers. She was killing it before COVID shut everything down. Miss those bangers. Oh, I oh, miss them so much. Uh, and then we have uh, Sophia Smith and Lynn Williams. Love to see Sophia Smith still with the team and getting opportunities. Training players are listed as well. Mallory Pugh is one of them. Hopefully she gets back into form and starts picking up these little injuries. I know she's probably extremely frustrated about it. Um, and so, uh, Courtney, who you got for Canada? Canada has a, like you mentioned, Canada has a pretty black team as well. Who should we be keeping our eye on? They have, honestly, they have as many black players, if not more, than the U.S. Um, it's Canada. really black. It's super exciting. Um, well, so of course, you know, can't. And one thing that I will say is, I'm really, really excited about the She Believes Cup because there are so many players that are now like playing regular football. Um, I mean, obviously, the NWSL preseason is starting, and like they'll be in the preseason while She Believes is going on. But um, you know, the U.S. now has players out playing in Europe. Canada has a lot of players playing in Europe. Um, so does Brazil. I mean, Formiga the the everlasting Formiga. Um, the eternal. <laughs> the eternal Formiga. Um, so I'm really excited for the games too because it won't like it won't necessarily feel the same way that the two previous friendlies feel where it's like, oh, they're for most of these players are kind of getting back into the groove of things. Like a lot of the players um, that are going to be 
that hopefully will be playing and will um, be on these squads are playing regularly in Europe. So for Canada, um, they have a lot of great players. Kadisha Buchanan, who plays for Lyon, is also really, really good. Um, Ashley Lawrence, who plays for PSG. Uh, where am I? Oh, Desiree Scott. Oh, well, no, never mind. She's playing in under herself. Can we uh, nix that, please? <laughs> um, uh, but also, I also was it? Oh, I also one player that I did want to shout out for Canada is Olivia Smith, who is the youngest player on the squad. She was brought up from their U17 teams and seems to be around 16 years old, which is a really, really big deal. Um, and so, yeah, Canada's like going to have a lot of really, really good players. And of course, we do have to shout out the OG Canada player, Miss Christine Sinclair, who's playing for the Thorns, but is also. Definitely, um, when the Canada when Canada and the U.S. eventually play, is definitely going to give our backline some problems. Absolutely, and somebody else is going to give us problems, and we already know we already know how many problems she gives the NWSL. Dabinia will be there with the Brazil squad. Shout out to Dabinia. She's still as good as she is. I still think that she she's an underrated player. I know she's not underrated to North Carolina Courage fans. <laughs> And I know she's not underrated to people who have to, uh, fans of other NWSL clubs who have to worry about uh, her in multiple times during out during a season. But I think on a global scale, people don't necessarily think about Dabinia as being as good as she is. But I promise you that she could she could walk into just like Katarina Macario just walked into Leon's squad. I guarantee you, Dabinia could do the exact same thing. She is a terror, and it is going to be really fun to watch her out there with the Brazil team. Uh, especially taking on teams like, you know, I think I think the Brazil-Canada match is probably going to be the most, that, that's probably going to be the most fun matchup of the entire tournament. I mean, we're expecting the U.S. Women's National Team to win every match they play. But I think in terms of a competitive match and a fun match, I think you're going to see a whole lot of talent on the pitch and a whole lot of uh, possibility for a whole lot of really fun stuff to happen. So now watch it be nil-nil, but whatever. I'm, I'm going to go ahead out with my prediction and say... Right. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to leave it in the pod and say that's the match I'm looking forward to. Canada, Brazil, I think is going to be really good. Yeah, me too. I mean, obviously, we're going to be really excited for all of the uh, U.S. matches. But yeah, Canada, Brazil. Um, And I'm also I'm interested to see what Argentina um, is going to bring to the table, too, and seeing Argentina, Brazil, because, you know, on the men's side, it's always a really, really big rivalry. And um, I'd love to see that passion and rivalry also be translated to the women's side too yeah absolutely i i would love to see that um i, I just on unfortunately and for a lot of reasons and obviously you can google it it just seems like argentina's uh, football association has a long way to go um i know that some players in the argentina squad were protesting them and you know refusing call-ups and things like that so i know they got some struggles i am hoping that a tournament of this of this stature help solve some of those and they start taking them the women's game more seriously because they do have some really talented players um i'm not sure if benini is going to be uh with the squad i had i didn't see the the list yet but if she is i think she's going to stand out in a, in a similar way that uh colombia's goalkeeper sepulveda stood out a lot uh across the two friendlies with the u.s women's national team right so let's see, we're going to wrap it up here. Uh, are there any other, I actually have a couple shout outs. I wanted to give some, some ballers from, from Europe or, or just, just overall, you know, maybe not even just Europe, but the U.S. as well. Is there anybody you wanted to give a quick shout out to before we close? Uh, you can go first because I feel like we're probably going to have a little bit of overlap, even though one of those players who had an incredible curler was against my personal team. 
<laughs> you can go first. <laughs> no, no, I want you. Okay. All right. I'll, I'll go for it. First of all, shout out to Asisat Oshwala. She is, she's forward for Barcelona. If you get a chance, it's hard to watch those Barcelona matches, but if you get a chance to, and especially when the Champions League starts back up and is available to watch, she has been killing, well, Barcelona period has been killing it, but she's been killing it. They just played Real Madrid. I believe she had two goals and a 4-1 win. Uh, she's been absolutely killing it. Uh, also check out uh, for Bordeaux. We talked about the French league earlier. Uh, Bunny Shaw absolutely crushing it. I don't. I, I had last time I looked, she basically had a goal a game average, and I think it may be more than that because she just continues to score hat tricks at will. So she's like an an unbelievable tear. Uh, so yeah, those are my two players that I really wanted to shout out uh, and make sure that people had them on their radar because if you get a chance to watch these players, please do. You will not be disappointed. Yeah. So who I want to shout out? Uh, I want to shout out two players. The first is Ebony Salmon. Um, Salmon from Bristol <laughs> City out of the. Women's Super League. Uh, she scored a brace in their gen- on January thirteenth, and she led Bristol City to their first win of the season. She's a straight baller. I don't even know. Like she's on Bristol right now, but that ain't gonna last. She needs to be on a club that can really maximize her talent. I know these are your shout outs. I'm sorry, but I'm really excited. I'm a big Ebony Salmon fan. She is. Um, she's. She's next. Let's put it that way. Oh, to- I completely believe. Um, and I also want to shout out Sydney Larue. She signed a three-year yeah. contract with the Orlando Pride today, which is really, really exciting because at least the rumor is that she has um, one of the max salaries on the team, and it's just really good to see um, that, like seeing the continued financial uh, commitment to women in soccer as well. Absolutely. And shout out to Sid, one of my favorite players. She's and, she, and also just a really hilarious person. But yeah, I'm really excited to see her uh, get a long term contract. That is so good. Three years. Uh, I love to see that, uh, especially given, you know, I, I love that she's I love that she's done what she wanted to do. You know, she she played soccer. She balled out. She played for the U.S. Women's National Team and she took a break to have a couple kids. And now she said, all right, I'm back. I love it. It's absolutely amazing. All right. So I think that's going to wrap it up for us. Thank you all for listening. Courtney, say goodbye to the good people. Goodbye.